Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio, where you can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. And if you can't spot medical misinformation, we'll spot it for you. Or you can call and say, hey, Dr. Weefald, is this true? Right. Right. Very good idea to dial between noon and 2 on Saturdays, 919-860-9783. Call right now or noon and 2 on Saturdays. Yeah. Well, you can call anytime. We're not here. Well, most of the time. Yeah, I've called. I've called your. I've called the home show. Yeah, have you? Great, really? That's good. Yeah. What was I asking about? I was asking about. Oh, I know. Slate roofs, or is it roofs? <laughs> All right. My dog so, would say roof. All right. So let's get Doctor Weevold back on the topic. We have on the show today Fauci and Texas. You mm-hmm. know something? Those Neanderthals mm. aren't aren't so bad. Well, and you know, I think that. That if I were a Neanderthal, I'd be really upset at President Biden, you yeah. know, for the- calling bad people or people he thinks are bad people Neanderthal. I mean, how do we know that they weren't really good people? <laughs> they could have been, could have been really nice. Yeah, they always they always depict them as hairy and unkempt. I'll bet you, yeah, that they had a very very rich society. They they probably you know did stuff with their hair and they sure. painted their faces. Yes, and I you know I think we should stop discriminating <laughs> against Neanderthals. I think that's terrible. That's that's very good. I mean, I'm I like serious. That. They, did you ever see the cave paintings that Neanderthals? Oh, did? they were our artists. They absolutely they were beautiful. Sh- should be in the Louvre. Yeah. So I think Neanderthal thinking now should be something positive it means that you protect your family you know how to hunt yeah and you can produce beautiful cave art it's great it's right? a great thing we're going to remind folks where the neanderthal comment came from we in, will very in, soon in, in in the following segment uh listen we're going to talk about uh tucker carlson saying that coronavirus was enhanced in the lab and you know, it's possible. Yeah. I, right. I, I will say this. I like Tucker. I do not like what he said about vaccines right. because I think he contributed to vaccine worry. Right. But I I think he's he's got some good things to say about the Wuhan Virology Institute, and it's possible. Now, remember, I, I'm not one of these Fauci types where no. say, I know this happened. I think it's very possible, if not probable, that it came from the Wuhan Virology Institute and it accidental leak. Okay. Procardia versus yeah, amlodipine versus amlodipine. And I want to make sure people understand the difference and how they both work for blood pressure, but one is better than the other. Okay. Go ahead and talk about okay. that. We- so when I was a young whipper snapper, and this is back in the early 80s. You only had aspirin and penicillin back well, then. Well, nah, I don't know. I, I took both, <laughs> but I won't tell you why I got the penicillin shot. <laughs> Um, the, the medicine came out that was spectacular. It was called Procardia or Nifedipine. And these are what we call calcium channel blockers. So what do they do? They are a specific chemical 
that blocks the constriction of your arteries, both yes. in you know your arms and legs and all the little tiny ones too. Their arteries they can constrict and lead to high blood pressure. Well, they also led to the relaxation and lack of constriction in the arteries of your heart, the coronary arteries. Right. And so they're really good. The problem is when you took it, your heart started speeding up. So that was called a, bad a reactive tachycardia. Yeah. So what did they do? They put people on beta blockers and you have to be on a beta block or you should be on a beta blocker if you've had a heart problem like a heart attack or congestive heart failure or angina. So it sort of crossed off the problem. Well, nowadays, there is a long-acting procardia, and it's called Procardia XL, Nifedipine XL, because it's generic. And it does raise your heart rate just a little bit. But since it's slow-released, it didn't right. have that, that problem. Well, about 25 years ago, 20 years ago, they came out with amlodipine, which is another very specific type of calcium channel blocker. But lo and behold, it didn't raise your heart rate. So now they finally looked at all these things and they realized that if you're on amlodipine, no risk or no greater risk of heart attack or heart failure. Yeah. But if you're on Procardia XL, which is the long-acting form of nifedipine, you have a significantly higher risk of developing heart failure and a heart attack. So what I would say to people out there who are on Procardia, don't stop your medication. Right. That'd be bad. Right. But talk to your physician and ask him or her, based on the new studies, that amlodipine is safer than Procardia XL or Nifedipine XL. And amlodipine is also known as Norvast. Ask your physician, might it not be a better idea to be on amlodipine? Now, there may be reasons why you're on Procardia. You need it for a specific reason. Um, so don't, don't stop it. But ask your physician, is it? Better for you to control your blood pressure on this calcium channel blocker and lodipine right. versus Procardia. And that's the lesson from today. I have no idea whether I'm on either one of these medicines. You don't know your medicines? No. Now, that's too, okay. Here's many. the second lesson. Yeah. What, what are, Even if you can't memorize them, yeah. carry around a list of your medicines, the dosages, yeah. and the times you take them. And why? Now, if you take a medicine and you don't know why you're taking it, yeah. you should. And and just tell your doctor, and this is important, close the laptop Yes. Okay. and say, I want you to tell me. <laughs> Reach over and close his the, laptop. You always do that. Yeah. If you're in the doctor's office and he or she is not looking at you yeah. and is not exchanging facial expressions and – you know, getting an idea of who you are as a person by yeah. how you present yourself, go over and, it, you know, if he or she is sitting next to you, you can do it easy. But be <laughs> dramatic. Stand up. Walk across the room. You know, and, and yeah. I watched this legal show the other day. You know how they uh, – movie. You know how they have to say, may I approach? Yeah, yeah. Okay, don't yeah. even say, my, no, no, may no. I approach? Approach, close the laptop. Now, they may be really mad for a second. But what you say is, I'm paying yes. for your time. Yes. And the time doesn't include you typing away and looking at your computer. Yeah. But anyway, get them to write it down. Uh, get it, if he doesn't, he or she no. doesn't have a pen, give him a pen. No, there's a digital 
yeah. a digital thing, and they push a button, they print out all my money. Okay, but what's not on there? Why? What they're for. Yeah. Okay. And so I automatically give my patients a list of their medications the first time I see them. Right. And then I write down, because my EMR uh, doesn't let you write down the reason, and I'll write it down for yeah. your heart, for example, a beta blocker. To prevent stress from affecting your heart muscle sure. and to help lower your blood pressure. And I'm going to tell everybody out there, don't just blindly take your medicines. Know why. Know why they're taking them at a certain time. For example, we know now that blood pressure medicines are best taken at night before okay. you go to bed. All right. Why? Because when you start to wake up, there's a lot of stress on your body through adrenaline and cortisol, these two stress hormones to wake you up know why you're taking these diabetes pills. So, for example, I'm taking glipizide. What does that do? I'm taking metformin. Oh, metformin reduces the amount of sugar my liver makes. Okay. Okay. What are the side effects? Nausea, vomiting in certain people, diarrhea. I, You know what I had? I oh, had a lady. Oh, gosh. I, I don't like this connection. He says the word diarrhea, and then he says, you know what I had? Yeah, no, I didn't. Well, I've had it before. Okay. Anybody who claims I've never had diarrhea is lying. I just don't want <laughs> the story. Well, what happened was I had a patient who went to a GI physician yeah. uh, with chronic abdominal pain and diarrhea, and they were, they were diagnosed off the blue with something called celiac disease, which is oh, yeah. an allergy to wheat. Okay, so you know how everybody's talking about gluten-free. Sure. The only people who need to be on gluten-free diets are people with celiac disease. It's some sort of a reaction, maybe an allergy, they don't know, to gluten, which is part of wheat. Mm-hmm. So. That, they had this person, poor person, not eating any wheat, and they were still having abdominal pain and diarrhea. Yeah. They were metformin. Yeah. And stopped the metformin and it all went away. <clears throat> so there's good and bad things about knowing what your medicines are and knowing what they can do and, and knowing what you take them for. The good thing is you can help yourself by being more informed and therefore if you do get a problem, you can help the physician. The bad thing is don't Google all your medicines. I mean, I everything, everything is you always have, you can always have dizziness. You can always have chest pain from them and you can always at the end die. I mean, that's the worst thing about a Google search. It always ends in death. So remember <laughs> that you want to ask your doctor what the risk of side effects. Yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah, okay? yeah. So for example, muscle cramps, the risk is very low. But if you think you're going to get muscle cramps, you're going to get muscle cramps. Yeah. The, so the, I, I'm sort of forgetting where this all started. It doesn't matter. But we've gotten some my really medicine, good points. Me taking yeah, my medicine. You need her. Okay. Your I, assignment. Yeah. We're going to read out your medicines well, and we're going to tell everybody what they're for. I can get them on my phone. The, 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 you my have the chart, list. My chart kind of thing. All right. Well, yeah, let's I, do that. It, Are we at the break yet? I don't think we're at the break. We're going to do it today because I want people to know – what their physician should be telling well, now, them about their Well, now, i got to edit the things because there might be well, some we'll leave, embarrassing – We'll leave off the, um, right, the ones right. you don't yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. I'm not going to talk about – you shouldn't be embarrassed about that. I'm not going to talk about that one. That's we'll one or two. What happens sometimes every six months or so, we look up in the cabinet and we pull down pills that we haven't yeah, taken for a long time. And I Google it and I'm like, when did I have that? Oh. When did I have that thing? And they gave me a medicine for it, and I, I probably got over it. Yeah, true. Let's, let's listen to Tucker Carlson because yeah. he's got an important thing to say. He's not a doctor. Right. And I don't think that other than talking to people 
who are strong in this subject. Right. Other than that, I don't think he knows. But here's what he said. Well, but, about, but his role is to talk to other right. experts and gather the information and report it with his opinion. Here is Tucker Carlson. A number of prominent liberals have publicly reassessed their views on where this virus came from. Yes, they have admitted. The virus did emerge from a lab in Wuhan. The physical evidence for that is overwhelming. This virus did not evolve in nature. Read the pieces. They're interesting. This virus was instead enhanced during lab experiments. Reckless, ghoulish, very dangerous experiments. They were paid for in part by American taxpayers from grants that Tony Fauci himself signed off on. What do you think? I agree. Um, And It's sad because... There's a word that that the uh, left wing, I'm going to just say it, the left mm-hmm. wing, uh, are using uh, to convince people that something's wrong. And that word is debunked. Yeah. I mean, that's like uh, if the Webster's Dictionary had a overused and ridiculous word, it's debunked. So, for example, um, this came out, this concept of the Wuhan Virology Institute being responsible, came out a year ago. We talked about it on the show. And all the New York Times people and all the Washington Post people said this is ridiculous and it's debunked. Yeah. Well, it's not debunked. And I think that this is a lesson that um, if you shout loud enough uh, about something that you know may be harmful to your political point of view, you're going to word, use the word debunked, and you're going to expect people to just lay down. Right. And for a year, nobody really looked at this again, and now people are looking at it. And it's not just people like Tucker who are looking at it. It's people who were formerly of the camp saying it was debunked. Right. The problem is there is no evidence that there was a bat anywhere near the Wuhan uh, meat market or right. wet market, and there was no evidence that there was a intermediate source, and so we really need to look into this Wuhan Virology Institute. Now, it's not proven. What is proof? I don't know what proof is going to be, but you know, in we talk about um, legal issues and 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 trials. Right. It's called um, evidence that's not proven, but is convincing and circumstantial evidence can convict somebody of a crime um, because it's called beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. And I think right now we're getting to the point where it's beyond a reasonable doubt to think that this virus did not escape accidentally from the Wuhan Virology Institute. Okay, we're going to talk more about this. We're going to hear from the uh, we're going to hear from the president talking about Neanderthals in a little bit. You know, it's such a bad, you're right, a bad term. I got a, a good story about about ancient but cultures. Neanderthals. Yeah. Okay. All right. And that's coming up on the shame segment. We're going to talk to you if you call the number 919-860-9783, Heart Health Radio. This is Heart Health Radio. 919-860-9783. Between noon and 2 on Saturdays, the lines are open. Uh, so the CDC head, Rachel Walensky, is yeah, in our shame I, segment. Why is that? Um, she is a really good scientist. Um, did really well in school. 
got a really great job yeah. at Harvard. Snappy dresser. And was a really big infectious disease person. Yeah. And bragged about it. You know why? Huh. Because infectious disease doctors don't make as much money as, say, oh, my gosh, a dermatologist. So she was just, you know, she huh. did it for the good of humanity, et cetera. <laughs> but anyway, what is happening, and she's not a politician, and that can be a problem. She needs to understand that if you say something on a Wednesday, yeah, okay, and this is last week, Wednesday, that the masks are important, we're going to keep them. Uh, we don't want to, uh, you know, uh, let the Neanderthals who are pulling their masks off kill everybody. Yeah. The very next day, the new CDC guidelines came out, which is if you're vaccinated, take off your mask. Yeah. And and so I, I really, I really can't believe that she didn't know on Wednesday they were going to relax them on Thursday. So maybe she thought for the next 24 hours we need to have mask mandates, yeah, you know, to prevent death, and then the next day we don't. Yeah. So stop. Think before you talk because this is the problem. People are losing faith in the government um, scientists. All right. Let me give you another example of why people have lost faith. Dr. Fauci on – the I don't know the network, but he's on with George Stephanopoulos. That's ABC. ABC, and they they're asking about why why are you wearing a mask inside, yeah. or why did you? Right, and this is what he said. Well, you know, George, I'm obviously careful because I mean I'm a physician and a healthcare provider. I am now much more comfortable. In, in people seeing me indoors without a mask. I mean, before the CDC made the recommendation change, I didn't want to look like I was giving mixed signals. But being a fully vaccinated person, the chances of my getting infected in an indoor setting is extremely low. Or outdoor setting. Uh, I mean, really. The problem is he was also in front of Rand Paul uh-huh. just the week before. And, you know, um, he asked, why are you wearing a mask indoor? Yeah. Is this just political fear? And that was the term he used. And and are you doing it just to look like you're a good guy? And he, you know, Fashi gets all on his high horse and says, saving lives is not political theater. And then a week later, he admits that it was political theater. I don't know what is worse. Um, making these uh, draconian statements about what we have to do mm-hmm. or just, you know, smiling the, you know, the Cheshire cat grin a week later yeah. and saying, well, you know, I was just fooling around. And, and it's no wonder. I mean, you've got I think we've hit the wall on vaccinations uh, because there are so many people who've gotten so many mixed signals right. from the government and they say, uh, who are we going to believe? And remember one thing about the vaccines. You know, the Democrats are blaming the right-wingers for this vaccine hesitancy. And they're blaming the right-wingers because of all this stuff on Facebook. You know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who was a left-winger, become a right-winger on vaccines, saying, you know, you're going to grow a new nose. You're going to, you know, three years from now, we're going to take over the world. The okay. anti-vaxxers are going to live and the vaccine people will die. The the major thing about vaccines is that they're safe, and this particular vaccine is very safe. But 
what did Biden and what did Kamala Kam, excuse me, you get in trouble if you don't pronounce this right. Kamala, like yeah. semicolon line. Right. Kamala, Kamala yeah. Harris said in the debates that they wouldn't take a vaccine that Trump developed. Yeah. And you know, yeah. this is the other thing. Fauci was in charge. And now what are they doing? They're saying America did a horrible job. I mean, you know, we were just terrible. All these people died because of Trump. Remember, Fauci was in charge. Fauci was the one making the recommendations. Fauci was the one saying this and saying that. So I want to clear the air, okay? Okay. We did a pretty good job. We are a social country. We are Mm -hmm. a country that lives um, on the basis of our interactions. And so, yeah, it was very tough to close down. In Taiwan, if you didn't go in the house and isolate yourself, the police came and beat you with a baton. Yeah. I mean, no wonder they only had seven deaths. You couldn't do that in this country, and, and rightly so, because we have the freedoms that just about everybody else doesn't have. So, uh, you know, stop, stop, stop. Start telling, you know, common sense things that are backed – oh, they say follow the science. They're not following the science. They're following the politics. And one of the worst things they did was pause the uh, – Astra, not AstraZeneca. What was the J&J virus? I mean vaccine. Yeah. There were one in a million. Out of every million vaccines, one person got a clot. And out of those clots, only one in a hundred had a really serious clot. They paused the vaccine even though they knew they were going to restart it. Yeah. And what did that do? They made everybody afraid of all the vaccines. So if you're listening, I'm telling you, I hope you are the truth. <laughs> if you're, yeah, yeah if, if you're on, the, if you're, if listening. you're listening, if you're near an AM radio, yeah. please yeah. get your vaccine. Then yeah. don't worry. Yes, you could have a side effect. You could have a sore arm. You could feel really crummy for a few days. Uh-huh. That's probably not going to happen. You could have a clot if you take the J and J vaccine. That's one in a million chance. Yeah, it, but. You know, we're going to get the country out of this mess. We're going to get you feeling more comfortable not wearing a mask and being around people. We're going to be successful. If you've read something on Facebook, if some friend has told you that he had a friend who died, don't believe them. Okay? We're getting 3 million vaccines a day. Now Uh it's tailing off because Uh there are people who don't want to have them. And, you know, this is one thing Tucker said. 30 people die every day who've gotten the vaccine. Yeah, because 75 are supposed to die every day. Out of 3 million people in the United States of America, on average, 75 die of natural causes every day. So get your vaccine. And believe me, I get no money from the vaccine people to say this. I'm saying it because I've read the data. I've read it. This is Heart Health Radio. Now back to heart health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-860-9783. And we would insist, if you do call Dr. Weefald, don't wear a mask. You're right. Because you sound terrible yeah. on the radio if you're wearing a mask. Yeah. On the phone, the same thing. Just don't do that. Listen, we're going to talk more about a lot of other things, including, you know, we go back and forth with this, apples are good, apples are bad. Right. Coffee is great. Oh, Coffee's no, 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 no. Coffee Have is you noticed bad. that more and more of the stories now are coffee is good? I think Starbucks and their uh, publicity <laughs> department are, are winning. From the Starbucks yeah. Institute comes yeah. this report. All right, coconut oil, yeah. which was supposed to be a superfood. Right, and I never really understood how it became a superfood. Uh-huh. I mean, 
Um, I guess it's because they felt there were all sorts of things in there, uh, which I don't really know. I mean, do you like coconut? Uh, yeah. I yeah. Like the coconut. only coconut I ever ate was Almond Joys. Yeah. Because they had an almond in it That's and a coconut and all this other stuff. That, yeah. Well, what they did was they started feeding diabetics coconut oil and it turned out to drop their sugar. Well, I don't I mean, you know, there's no sugar in coconut oil, but I don't know. Well, then it became, according to the American Heart Association, there's a guy who's a spokesman, pure poison. And why is that? Well, because there's something called saturated fat. Yeah. And there is evidence that people who have a very, very high intake of saturated fat have a higher incidence of coronary artery disease and, and heart attack and stroke. Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing that I don't know, and that is the truth. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because they haven't really studied it. And, you know, I always talk about these double-blind, randomized trials where you take, you know, 5,000 people in one arm and 5,000 other, feed them coconut oil, feed them fake oil. Right. Here's the problem. And that I'm, we're beginning to see is that people aren't equal. You can't take 5,000 people and another 5,000 people and make them have the same genetic background, have the same you know, habits. They always try to, you know, try to match them, right. but they can't. And there may be people out there who genetically can't take coconut oil because somehow it is modified and, and turned into a poison. But there may be people out there who can take coconut oil right. and, in fact, should because their genetics turns it into a superfood. I don't know. But the lesson from this story is when somebody tells you something is a superfood, yeah. just don't believe it um, because I don't even know where superfood came from. Is that like a, um, a, a millennial term, a Gen Z term? No, I mean, we, we have a hope and a wish that there will be one food that we can eat that will then solve our problems. When I t- you know what my idea of a superfood is? What? Hot fudge sundae with yes. whipped cream nuts oh, and a yes. cherry. That's oh, yeah. super. Yeah. You yeah. Now, it's not good for you. And the primary reason it's not good for you is not the fat that's in there. It's the sugar. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to keep telling you over and over and over again. It's sugar. White flour, the inside of white potatoes, and white rice that are your enemy yeah. because they make you fat. They, If you're diabetic, makes your diabetes worse. And it causes the number one term that we're interested in in the, the next decade, inflammation. Too much inflammation. Your immune system is too strong. And what happens? It just tears down your body. Now, I had bypass surgery. Okay. This is not the same as open heart because yeah. they didn't open my heart. You had open heart surgery. I did? Okay. Open heart surgery. And people wonder what that means is that they actually cut your sternum open and they put these um, oh, these man. vices on there. Yes, Not yes. vice. What is it called when you open up, you know, ratchet open something? And it's exposed to the environment. Okay. That's open heart. Now, open heart. Open heart can mean you have your valve done, so they put in a new valve. It can mean they have bypass surgery where they create a new route of blood flow. Um, it can mean that they do a heart transplant. So open heart means it's opened up the heart as opposed to okay. you know, putting a new valve in through a stent through the leg. Some people have suggested that 
you know, while we're here. Let's do some stuff. Let's do some stuff to improve the heart, including having part of it cut off. Well, or ligated, it's called. Then they cut it off. So everybody in your mind, let's go back to Valentine's Day. Yeah. Okay, the heart. I know the heart. Why is the heart shaped like a heart? And people say, that's not what a heart looks like. Well, yeah, it actually does. That little tip at the end, that sure. Apex. Okay. And then it goes up and you have those two humpy things on top. Those are actually your left and right atrial appendages. Okay. Now, what do they do? The uh-huh. atrial appendage. You don't know? Guess no. what? What? Nobody knows. <laughs> they just sort of sit there. Really? Now, they. I'm sure they have a reason to live. Uh, it's probably something to do with stabilizing the electricity. I don't know. But if you've seen a beating heart, yeah, it looks like two hands that, you know, you've got a limp-wristed syndrome and they're sort of just flopping there. Yeah. So... They have a bad thing, the left atrial appendage, because it just sits there. The blood, if your heart is in fibrillation, atrial fibrillation, the top part is just instead of a nice regular beat that causes the heart to beat in a regular fashion, they're just sort of quivering there and they're flopping in the wind. Well, not the wind, but inside your chest. And when blood pools, because it's not moving smoothly, clots can form. Yes. So that is one of the biggest risks of AFib, if not the biggest risk of atrial fibrillation is when that quivering happens and the blood is pooling in that little appendage, clots can form, break off, go to your brain or go to your kidney or go to your you know, liver and cause a stroke or an infarcted tissue, you know, dead tissue. And so there's that atrial appendage just lying there and you're, the heart's open. I mean, the chest is open. There's your heart. You're working on the valve or you're working on bypass surgery. Um, why not just tie a string around it? Tie a yellow ribbon around the old atrial appendage and then cut it off. So there's no, you know, way for the blood to get in there and clot. So they're doing that more and more. Um, and I think they did yours, right? Did he tell you? I have no idea. Did he charge you extra? No, it's he didn't. It's an extra 250 I didn't get the It's an extra $2.50 because it takes them about 30 seconds to do. Oh, well, then he would yeah, charge so, me at least a so couple of hundred. this yeah. all comes to a new study that was done. And those people who had any type of open-heart surgery, who had their left atrial appendage ligated or removed, yeah. had a 40% lower risk of stroke, even if they got AFib in the future. So that's really cool. Now, um, Francis Wood, Dr. Francis Wood and Dr. Bolton from Wake Med, two uh-huh. of my favorite people, they do a procedure called the Watchman. Now, what is that? Suppose you have atrial fibrillation and you have bad hemorrhoids. Okay, so what is that? What is the problem? Wait a minute. Yeah, the, the heart is connected to the hemorrhoid. Let me tell you how. So suppose you have bad hemorrhoids and they, they band them and they still bleed. Uh-huh. Well, if you have AFib, even if you've had an ablation where they correct it you know, um, with a catheter so yeah. you don't have AFib anymore, they still recommend you be on blood thinners. And I hate to use that word blood thinner. Your blood's not thin. Let's call them anti-clotting medicine. Yes. Well, suppose you have a hemorrhoid that keeps bleeding. Mm. And I've got two patients who do the same thing. I mean, they've had their hemorrhoids banded and cut, and they still have them. And every now and then, poop, and the blood comes out. So if you're on a anticoagulant or an anti-clotting medicine to prevent stroke from AFib, you can bleed terribly. Right. So right. they go in your leg. And it's a little ball cage, and they expand it, and they pop it into the atrium. So that it's like you know they go into that, that, that atrial chamber, and they employ 
um, what looks like a t-ball. You know what a t-ball is? Sure. Not, not hitting a baseball. No. But it's a little cage where you put tea into. Okay. Right? And you dip it. Yes. yes Instead yes. of a tea bag, it's yeah, a t-ball. That. Well, that's what it looks like when it's expanded. And then eventually it clots and um, blocks off the left atrial appendage so you can't form clots in there. So that's another way to do it. But when you've got the chest open, why don't you just go ahead and, and lop it off? Oh, sure. You know? While we're there. Why were you there? So if you're going to have open heart surgery, there may be a reason why your surgeon doesn't do it. But if he's going to open your chest, ask him or her, Yeah, is it worthwhile to ligate the left atrial appendage so that if you get atrial fibrillation in the future or if you have AFib now, um, maybe it won't form a clot as easily because that place where the clots form is gone. That's excellent news. Ta-da. But I feel cheated now. I think you had it done. You do? Yes. They never mentioned it to me. Well, because it's an afterthought. You know? Oh, look at that thing there. Let's let's prevent him from having a stroke in the future. Let's cut it off. Well, they had me open. Yeah, they might as well just do it. Might as well do it. Right. Well, I mean, there was a thought because we don't know what the left atrial appendage really does. We yeah. think it might have something to do with stabilizing electricity. There was a thought that maybe it would make people worse and give them. AFib, if we cut it off. Well, the studies show now that's not the case. Okay. And uh, lop it off if your surgeon says it's the right thing. Okay. There is something called RSV. Respiratory syncytial virus. And, and it's, uh, does it affect very young children? Yeah, babies. And so you can get like a viral pneumonia. And guess what? Like yeah. the flu, it yeah. sort of went away. Yeah. And that's probably due to, you know, aggressive hand washing, uh, possibly due to wearing the mask. Right. And so now they're starting to see a comeback. Now, I don't think this is a reason to go back to masking. Um, but you got to be aware. If you have a young baby, um, make sure you talk to your pediatrician yeah. and ask him or her uh, what to do about preventing RSV in your little baby. Because it, it's usually a, you know, a self-limited thing. But in certain babies, we don't know why, it can become a real serious respiratory problem. And it looks like it's coming back. And I really do believe, and although I don't, like, I'm not Dr. Fauci, I'm not going to say, I know you're going to no, need a booster you shot. You don't know. But I don't know. I think flu might be really bad. It could be really bad next coming fall and winter um, because it was gone. I mean, there yeah, ain't no flu this year. So now that we see RSV and babies coming back, I think there's a good chance um, we've got to be real careful in the flu season and get your vaccine. All right. I'm going to encourage folks to call with their own individual health questions. Yes. 919-860-9783. Always call between noon and 2 on a Saturday. There is something you talked about AFib just a moment ago. AFib is an electric problem. Yeah, yeah. So it's the electricity in the top part of the heart, which is not in a conforming manner. Okay, so the electricity is sort of just dashing all over the place. Yeah, and it's causing the upper chambers, the right atrium, left atrium, to beat irregularly and sort of just quiver. There was some some article blaming alcohol or saying yeah. don't take out al- you know yeah. drink alcohol. okay and so it's a reasonable thing we talked before about holiday heart syndrome you know remember that yeah. long time ago so what does that mean so you go, you go on holiday as the british would say and you um 
uh, you tipple a little bit, so you get really drunk, and the next day, your heart starts pounding and beating irregularly. Why is that? Because withdrawing from alcohol is a very stressful thing, and our big bugaboo here, adrenaline. Yeah. And and uh, epinephrine will rise as you're under stress, stimulate the top part of the heart. And it looks like that is one reason why you go into atrial fibrillation. But it looks like alcohol actually directly affects, almost immediately, those upper chambers. It somehow gets through the bloodstream and into the muscle yeah. and makes it more susceptible to AFib. Now, you're going to read that even one drink makes you four times uh, likely to get AFib oh boy. as someone who doesn't drink. That may be true, but I don't want you to think <laughs> that you're going to get AFib from one drink. Right. It means that instead of one in 20,000 chance of getting AFib, you have four in 20,000 chance. So it's okay to have a beer. It right. is okay. Like me, I'd like scotch. I like single malt whiskey. Yeah. It's okay to have one or two, but don't over drink, mainly because I don't want you to have a car wreck because yeah. you're drunk driving. Yeah, no, no, no. But the long term effects of heavy alcohol use on the liver and now we know on the heart are important to, to grasp and to therefore be an incentive to drink in mild to moderate amounts. Okay. This is Heart Health Radio. We've got a shout-out coming up. Somebody who's just impressive, the Greg character, Greg, Greg Thurman. Yeah. I hope Greg's listening. I told him to listen. Well, you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll hear Greg's story in just a moment. Also, anti-vaxxers now think that they will inherit the earth because everybody who's been vaccinated is going to kick off. The problem is anti-vaxxers aren't the meek. They're far from being meek. (laughs) The meek will inherit the earth, not the anti-vaxxers. Right. Right. Okay. This is Heart Health Radio. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts or at hearthealthradio.com. Who is Greg Thurman? Um, Greg, if you're listening, I I do want to tell you how proud I am of you. And, And people wonder... How can a physician say he's proud of somebody? Well, I met Greg, gosh, was it four years ago? Uh-huh. And he was swollen. I mean, fluid. His legs were literally full of fluid. Yeah. And he couldn't breathe. And um, we did an ultrasound. Boy, was his heart weak. I mean, just out of the blue, he had never had any health problems. So we did a heart catheterization on him. He didn't really have bad blockages of cholesterol. So, therefore, it was most likely some sort of virus um, that affected his heart. He didn't have other risk factors for what we call a dilated cardiomyopathy. So, the heart was dilated. It means it had gotten big. Cardiomyopathy means the muscle wasn't pumping. Well, I mean, he's just a great patient. And he went on his meds and everything. And yeah. he did great for a few years. As a matter of fact... His ejection fraction, which is what a cardiologist or a doctor will tell you, that is the amount of blood, percentage-wise, that gets pumped out of your heart in one beat. So suppose you have 100 cc's or 100 mls, 100 ounces. Let's just use the 100. Right. A normal ejection fraction is 55%. That means 55% of that 100 or 55 mls is going to be ejected into your aorta and your bloodstream 
with every heartbeat. Right. So his it got down to 20. I mean, and the heart, in order to maintain the same amount of blood that gets pumped out, it gets real big, okay? And so your ejection fraction is low, but the amount of blood pumped out is high or about the same. We got better, and then, you know, it just, what happened is that sometimes it gets worse. And it wasn't, you know, his medication problem. I mean, he was taking his meds. Yeah. And so we had to put a defibrillator in. And then after the – because your heart, if it's big and flabby, the electricity can go haywire and you can have something called ventricular fibrillation, yeah. okay, where the heart just – the bottom part fibrillates as opposed to the top part. When the bottom part fibrillates, you have no cardiac output. Nothing's coming out. So we put in his defibrillator. He'd never had an episode of sudden death. That's what it's called when you get ventricular fibrillation. And then he started having it, and that defibrillator was firing. I mean, I mean, yeah. you ask anybody. Do you know anybody who's got a defibrillator? No. When it goes off, it ain't fun. They know it? Oh, it feels like a monkey, you know, a monkey, a donkey. A donkey kicking, kicking you in the, in the chest. chest. It's really, and his went off a bunch of times. Now, we got him on medicine to stop that. And then there's a new medicine that came out. Well, not so new, two years ago, maybe. Entresto. Uh, and um, I can't tell you the generic names. I think it's something like well, – man, never mind. I'm not even going to try. I'm yeah. terrible with generic names. But Entresto. And it is a miracle drug. I'm going to say that right now because if you have congestive heart failure due to a flabby heart that's not pumping hard, it really helps. It's right. been proven. And so we gave it uh, in appropriate doses uh, to uh, my buddy. And now I just saw him the other day. Yeah, ejection fraction was forty-five to fifty percent, which is which is almost good. back to normal. Yeah, okay. So I mean, he he is a prime example of somebody who was unlucky enough to get this cardiomyopathy or right. a weak, flabby heart, but also lucky enough to have a good family support system to. Um, you know, have these medications in this day and age to have the defibrillator to protect him. And, you know, he's leading a pretty normal life. That's good. Yeah, you want to hear? Go ahead. How come so many guys with my profile, diabetic, heart disease, Mm -hmm. blood pressure, have such thick, thick ankles? Uh, Because there's a syndrome called Dave's cankles. (laughs) Really? It's named after me and uh, and I I didn't know? know? Thick ankles. Uh, there's yes. two types of thick ankles. One is just you got, you know, big bones or whatever, and the no, other is you nothing. got fluid. Okay? okay. So edema versus a thick ankle, if you can press on your skin yeah. and have it smush down and then take out your thumb and there's still a smush imprint, oh my. that's fluid. Okay? But don't always assume that's heart failure. I have so no. many people who are told, oh, you got fluid in your legs, that's heart failure. No, it's one of the causes. But, um, you know, getting getting back to my patient, yeah. um, you know, I, I had a funny story, too. Um, we get audited. You ever heard of the sure. dreaded audit? I, you, yeah. Have you ever been audited? No. No. Yeah. IRS? So the, no. When Obamacare came through, Obama said he was going to pay for Obamacare by taking back money from physicians who um, were overcharging. So we started to get an audit, and they would come in and look at all your records. Yeah. Well, then they had an audit so that 
the Medicare Advantage plans, which is Blue Cross Medicare, they take your Blue Cross money, but they get paid more um, than Medicare money. They get paid more by Medicare if your patients are sicker. So they want to check your charts and see if you've documented, if you've um, said they're sicker through the diagnosis code. Yeah. Well, one day Greg shows up as the auditor. Really? Greg Thurman, yeah. That was one of the jobs he had. And so we're in a panic, you know, are we going to break all the rules, <laughs> everything? You know, it was his job. He's your patient. Well, he can't audit well, you. Well, no, the whole point is he had no say okay. in what the audit did. He just collected the stuff, okay. the charts, and scanned them. So I said I was comfortable with it, but Greg had to call his boss and yeah. say, hey, this is my doc, and it all went through fine. Okay. But, um, you know, it's just so funny how, you know, the crossroads of patient-physician interaction are right. so frequent now. Right. And, uh, but, you know, if you're still listening, Greg, if you haven't got bored by what I said, you're a wonderful person <laughs> and a great um, patient. And um, I'm really proud to have helped you um, get some better health back in your life. That's good. Are people wearing masks in your – Practice. Uh, what am I going to say here? Okay. If you're listening, the, uh, oh, the governor's board? office, oh, yeah. Yeah. Governor Cooper and with Mandy Cohen, and if you're listening, the medical board, I am still requiring masks in my office. Okay. Okay. Um, but if there are patients who cannot communicate well because they're hard of hearing and need to read lips, yeah. I give them a special dispensation. If someone is vaccinated and asks me, Please, I can't breathe with this mask on. I'll give them a special dispensation. Um, I have to tell you, um, I want to rip these things off so bad. Amen. There is a real concern, an ethical concern, among unvaccinated people who have Mm -hmm. made the decision not Mm -hmm. to be vaccinated. They see a sign in the storefront that says, if you're vaccinated, don't wear a mask. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. Unvaccinated people who are secretly among us are walking in. Yeah. And they may be the prime candidates. I, to, I have mixed feelings about this. I have mixed feelings about this. Um, I have so many patients who are vaccinated. Yes. I have so many who say, I'm getting that thing. It's going to kill me. And, you know, I don't blame them. Um, they're not scientists, they're not physicians. They are listening to friends. Yeah. They are listening to Facebook. They are listening to President Biden, who said he wouldn't get a vaccine that Trump developed. Um, they're listening to some crazy right-wingers, and anti-vax. They're listening to Robert <laughs> F. Kennedy Jr. So I feel for right. them. And what okay. do I tell them? I still love you if you don't get a vaccine, but I, I strongly urge you to get so. Get one. And, you know, I, I'm not in favor of vaccine passports either, are you? No, no, no. Yeah. That's so, not a good thing. You know, if this you're unvaccinated, please continue to follow the rules. All right. I found the list of my medicines. We'll go over that in the second in hour. In the second hour. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health 
Radio Network, and right now we're on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF, and your phone calls would be appreciated, especially if you've got a question about your health situation. Yep. We're going to go through Dave's medicines. Yes, this is so important. That might take a lot of time. No, you don't have too many. Really? How many are you on? Uh, I t- handful. Okay. I'm I, on one, two, three, four, five, you're six. You're an amateur. I'm on six. You're an amateur. I'm on six medicines. I think medicines are our friends. All right. So I take, well, we're going to talk about other things. Yeah. Health habits are for people over 60. If you're over 60 and you got some health habits, stay with us. If you do things to help your heart, we'll find out wh- yep. whether they're worthwhile. Well, we'll also find out what's true and what's not true about health habits. There's a connection between processed food, sugar, and cancer. Finally, they're recognizing this. Really? Yes. Okay. And it's important. And we're going to talk about the fact that there is new research that shows Appalachia is the reason with is the region with the highest what? Yeah, so the South and Appalachia, the highest incidence of heart disease and stroke in the country, not quite in the world. And we'll talk about where in the world it's highest and therefore why it's highest in the South and Appalachia in this right. country. So I take two, t- two kinds of insulin. Okay. You, you're not surprised at yeah, that. Yeah, tell us the, one, the first kind. One is, it says insulin aspart. Aspart. I don't know what that yeah. means. Yeah, so what's the other Novolog, that's Novolog. Yeah, what's the other I reason? don't know, it's not, they're Lantus, not together. Trigeo? Yeah, it's Lantus. Lantus. No, no, Basiglar. Yeah, Basiglar. Okay, so Basiglar. there are short-acting insulins, right. and then there are long-acting insulins. And why? Because in our body, the pancreas, the islet cells of the pancreas, produce insulin all the time. Right. So you have a what we call a basal level. Yes. And so what they try to do with the Lantus is mimic that, put it in a level that's just there all the time, yeah. and then you have a short-acting insulin. So yeah. that it mimics what the islet cells do. They put out a little bit, put out a little bit, up, up, up. I need to put out more because the glucose levels are rising. Right. So you're mimicking that with the short-acting and then uh, the the need for a higher amount of insulin around your meals right. or around – you know, your Snickers bar snack. Yes. Yeah. What is your sugar right now? Sugar right now is about 200. Ah, all right. It's too high. Uh, uh. It's too high, but it's also but healthy. it's been better, right? It's been better, but it's, yeah. 200 is, uh, I'm not going to have a low sugar uh-huh. event. And I'm going to be here at the station till three uh-huh so it's not yeah wise and you're for not going to eat lunch even though you should right it's not wise for me to try to force it too low okay all right i i take ozempic once a week okay so ozempic is called a glp1 agonist now what is that glp1 well. is a hormone or a protein that makes your pancreas respond to the signals Needing insulin. See, you have type 2. You have type 2 diabetes. I mean, you make your insulin. It just doesn't respond. I mean, your pancreas doesn't respond as quickly to produce it, and it doesn't work very well. Um, And the way insulin works is supposed to take your sugar and put it in your cells and use it. 
So what Ozempic does is it makes your own insulin and actually the insulin that you put into your body through your shots work better. And it's a fantastic medicine. Um, helps you lose weight. Uh, definitely yeah. corrects your blood sugar. So, yeah. and, and, and it, the class of medicines, these GLP-1 in agonists, they reduce the risk of heart disease. So these are fantastic medications. Since I started on that, my blood sugars have been lower, and therefore I've been taking less insulin. Right, and that's another thing. Um, I like to get all of my type 2 diabetics off insulin. I mean, sometimes it's impossible. Right. But with a no-no diet and a drug like Ozempic and some other ones we'll talk about, um, it's possible. I take a acetaminophen. Okay. And they've got it listed as 325 milligram tablet. That's not it. Yeah. Oh, that's, I know what this is. This is a Tylenol. Yeah. They say take as needed. That, yeah. That's nothing. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, close something. Clop? Clopridogrel? Yeah. Yeah. Look, Clopridogrel, 75 oh, but, milligrams. Yeah. Plavix. 75 milligrams, right? 75, yeah. Yeah, Plavix. so what Plavix is is a medicine that a lot of people colloquially like to call a blood thinner. Um, it doesn't thin your blood. I have so many patients that come and say, Doctor, I'm cold. I'm cold. I'm on a blood thinner. Yeah. And and what it does is it affects a little tiny cell in your body, in your bloodstream, called a platelet. And platelets work with proteins in your blood to form clots. Sure. So aspirin works in one pathway, and clopidogrel or Plavix or Brylinta or Effiant work in another pathway to make the platelet less likely to clot something off. And therefore, you clot less frequently or less potently, and the stent stays open, your bypass graft stays open better because one of the reasons why they fail to stay open is clotting. So it's a great medicine. Yeah. You have to look at your bowel movements every time you have a bowel movement. I got to look Be- at them? Yeah. Make sure they're not black. Make sure they don't have blood in them. Okay. Make sure they're not tarry looking. When they're black and tarry looking, that's usually an ulcer. And believe me, people think, if I have an ulcer, I'm going to feel it. Uh-uh. I have so many patients who bled out from ulcers who never knew it. But Plavix is a great oh medicine. Now, some people, Plavix doesn't work. Plavix is a pro-drug. So it means you take it and your body has to modify it to turn it into the active drug. Guess what? About 15% of people don't turn it into the active drug. Now, we used to think you get a DNA test. You know, you swab your cheek and you find out if you're one of those low responders. Eh, we don't do that so much, mainly because Medicare started suing people who were doing the test as wasting money. Oh, my. But anyway, if it if if it you take it, it's most likely going to be effective and a very good medicine. But watch for bleeding. Right. Is this a long-term thing for me? I would take it as long as you tolerate it. Really? Yes. Yes. Um, and the reason is because as your bypasses age uh-huh. and as you get older, you're still going to build up a little bit of cholesterol. And it's the soft new plaques that cause heart attacks. And in a- medicines like aspirin and clopridogrel or Plavix help prevent clots from forming on these cholesterol plaques that lead to heart attacks and stroke. Now, I was uh, when I got my stents, yeah. that was about five years ago yeah. now, when I got stents in, they put me on an anticoagulant. Right. But it was just for a year. Right. Right. Why we was used th- to think that all you needed it was for a year. Yeah. 
Um, and that's probably true. I mean, right. suppose you have a bleeding problem and you can't take it longer than a year. I think you're going to be okay. But my, I, I've seen it. It's very rare. Right. But sometimes, you know, three years after uh, you have a stent put on it, it clots. Now, is that related to the initial stent placement or is it related to a new cholesterol that grew near it and, and um, a new cholesterol pack that grew near it and caused a clot? I don't know. But for high-risk patients, and I would say that you are – moderately high risk. I say take the aspirin and Plavix on forever unless you can't tolerate it. All right. There is something I take, and you don't necessarily suggest or tout a specific medicine very much, but I'm going to tout this yeah. one. Gabapentin. Yeah, gabapentin. So I take I take it for neuropathy right. pain. Yeah, so neuro- it works well. Gabapentin, yes. believe it or not, is a seizure medication, Okay. So it works on neurons in the brain ski and prevents uh, the epileptic seizures, and it works really well. But what they found out is that a medicine like this um, that works on the neurons firing also prevents the pain from diabetic neuropathy and also some other types of neuropathy. You know, what's a neuropathy? Neuropathy is just that. It's a neuron that is pathologic. It doesn't fire correctly, and therefore you get pain when you're not supposed to have pain. So you're sitting there, and it feels like ants are crawling up your skin. Yes, it does, yes. Or your feet are on fire, and it helps prevent that um, feeling. It's a great medicine. Now, it can make you drowsy. It can you know, make you loopy. So yeah. it sounds like you tolerate it. The other well, one that no, works, I, I take it at bedtime. Yeah, okay. So you're loopy at bedtime. <laughs> Some people have to take it three times a day and yeah. at bedtime. Yeah. Um, the other one that works well is Lyrica. Uh, it's a little more tough to tolerate, but that's for another time. Okay. Amlodipine. That's what we just talked about. Really? So Procardia um, or Nifedipine, um, uh, it's, a, it's a type of calcium channel blocker, and amlodipine is sort of the... Uh, the second generation, third generation of the same thing. Okay. So what that does is twofold. It lowers your blood pressure, but it also dilates your arteries, so they're much less likely to constrict. There's a lot of evidence that it prevents stroke. And now the good thing is, as a calcium channel blocker, it doesn't put you at risk, like Pricardia or nifedipine, to have heart failure or a heart attack from taking the medicine. It's great. Amlodipine's a great drug. All right, trazodone. Now, trazodone is an antidepressant, but it's mostly used in this country right. for sleeping. Right. That's so you I take, take 50 to 100 milligrams of trazodone at bedtime, and sometimes you sleep better. Um, I mm. tried it once when I was you know, needing some sleep. It didn't work for me. Um, it works really well for some people. I, um, I take it. Let's put it this way. The, tra- the nights I remember to take the trazodone. Yeah. And I take a couple of gabapentin. Yeah. I have no trouble sleeping. And I suggest, you know, people discuss this with their doctors. Here's the thing. A lot of diabetics will not get prescribed Ambien because doctors are afraid that the person will fall asleep. And then get up and start driving the car. Well, or yeah. or, or they'll, they'll fall asleep and, and have a low sugar event. Oh, really? Right, and not be able to get up and deal with oh, it, right? You I've think never, about it. I've never um, thought that way. You never thought that way? Okay. No. Um, I should, maybe I should. There's something called the Samoji effect. 
Samoji. We mentioned it on the show. Yeah, that's when your sugar drops in the middle of the night. Yes. Okay. And then the way that your body counteracts that is that it secretes adrenaline and cortisol, and your heart starts to pound. Yep. And guess what? Sometimes you wake up with a sugar of 300 because the countermeasures yeah. to bring it back up by you know getting your liver to produce sugar, by getting all these mechanisms, maybe more you know um, yeah. sugar output from muscles. That's called glycogen. And so you wake up in the morning with a sugar of 300. And that's because yeah. it was really low, like 30 yeah. at 4 a.m. Okay. Okay. So I guess that makes sense. Um, no uh, Ambien or Restoril or, or Xanax at night because you might have to wake up and fix your sugar. I get right. it. Right. Yeah. But the things I take, yeah, which they, include you can still Trazodone, wake up. I yeah. still wake up. Um, Atorvastatin, we'll, we'll talk about okay. a little bit later. We've got Nicholas in Hillsboro. We're going to talk to him next on Heart Health Radio. This is Heart Health Radio. We're going to pause and not talk about some people who should be ashamed of themselves. We're going to talk with Nicholas in Hillsboro. Nicholas, welcome to Heart Health Radio. Thank you so much. I love your show. Thank, Thank you. you. Love you. I don't even know you, but I love you. <laughs> so uh, I joined a gym. I'm 65 and felt like I needed more aerobic exercise. Yeah. And they, they give you a little heart monitor that you wear, and you try to get a target heart rate and give you little points you can see on the display. Yes. We lost him. No, he's still here. His heart phone. Rate. Yep. That. He's on his cell. He's on his car phone. He's on his cell. Nicholas, you're on a cell phone. And- if I wanted to do this on my own. Yeah, this is a big exercise. Yeah. Okay. I think I got the the gist of it. The target heart rate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a formula. Let me tell you. I live in North Hills, and there's a place called Orange Theory. Yeah. Have you heard about it? No. So what they do is they talk about the zones of your heart rate. Okay. And I I'm going to tell you right now. I can't remember the formula. Okay. There's a formula that age. So you take 220 minus your age. Multiply it by 75%, and that's your target heart rate. Okay. And you want to exercise, you know, walk. Um, usually jogging requires yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, the big thing in North Hill is the cycles. Yeah. The cycle. What do they, if you call it spinning, spin classes. And so this orange theory concept is that you got all these aerobic machines and yeah. even weightlifting. Yeah. You get your heart into the orange zone, which is right above the target heart rate, but below the you know red zone where, you, where you're going to you know right. max out. Sure. And you do that for 30 minutes. Okay. Now, I think that's, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm not a big fan of target heart rate, um, only because I haven't found that to be useful for my patients. Um, what I tell them is to exercise to the point where you can still carry on a conversation, yeah. but it's not as easy. So if you're walking with a friend, if you're jogging, um, when I was at my healthiest in terms of aerobics, I had a good friend named Dave, 
And I ran. And the reason why I ran is he came to my house at 5 a.m. and knocked on the door. Now, if there wasn't anybody that I had run with, I wouldn't have had the – um, the encouragement right. to do so. And so we ran five or six miles, but the pace was we carried on a conversation. So you can do it two ways. You can get on this formula and Google it and say formula for my target heart rate based on age. Um, but I'm going to tell you, everybody's different. So you may be able to go way above that target heart rate with minimal exercise. Yeah. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It means that you're just resting heart rate was higher. My resting heart rate's 85 beats a minute. And that's mm-hmm. on that's on a, a medicine for blood pressure called bystolic, which is a beta blocker. Mm-hmm. So my heart rate is just high. Um, I've had people, heart rate's 50, okay, at, at rest, not on any medications at all. Usually yeah. they're really, really healthy, like marathon runners. All right, I'm going to hit the button and get Nicholas back sure. on the line. Hopefully... The phone issues have resolved themselves. Yeah. Nicholas, does that help? Uh, yes. And so, is there a frequency uh, in terms of how often you should exercise? How often should he exercise? Okay, that's a really good question. Um, one of the things about exercise, you can overdo it. Okay, Marathon runners, they live five years on average less than other people. The body needs time to recover. Um, and I don't recommend running on concrete, even if you have really good shoes, mm-hmm. because your bones weren't meant to be jarred like that. I think 35 to 40 minutes, four times a week is all you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, if you walk, however, you can do that every day, because walking is non-jarring to the body. But if you want to do 40 minutes of exercise, aerobic exercise, and hit your target heart rate, or get in that orange zone just above the target heart rate, I think you'll be fine. Uh, bicycling, as long as you're wearing a helmet. Um, light jogging yes. with really good shoes. Spend yeah. money. 150 yeah. bucks shoes. Yeah. Um, and get them fitted to you. Go to a shoe place. Put them on. Jog around. Compare. The ones that hurt the least by. Wow. And, um, but I think it's admirable. Um, 40 minutes, five times a week to the point where you can still talk and carry on the conversation. Right. Um, and get a partner. And the reason why I would get a partner in exercising aerobically is because you're going to do it then. Right. Um, you won't have an excuse to not exercise because, you know, Mary is going to be knocking at your door. Right. And you don't want to leave Mary standing out there. How about that, Nicholas? Okay, that's a big help. Thanks, guys. Hey, let us know how you're doing. Call back in a couple months and tell us how you're doing and what you decided to do in terms of target heart rate, conversation, stuff like that. Okay, great. Have Thank a you. great Bye. day. All right, take care. Tell you what. Am I a know-it-all? And no, well, yeah, you can I mean, provide. But let me ask you a question. Am yeah. I a obnoxious know-it-all? No. Okay, because you know what? I, I not, a, self, not on this topic. I'm, no. I'm, a, I'm self-conscious about it because somebody the other day, when I was spouting off on something I knew, they yeah. said, are you a know-it-all? You know? Well, but you I do went, say when I don't know something. So. You, you went to the school. You studied. You continued to, to <laughs> read this stuff. The biggest problem people will say to me, you're a heart doctor. What do you know about this other stuff? And remember... Yeah. Three years of internal medicine. And, you know, internal medicine has gone by the wayside. Nobody really knows what that means. Mm-hmm. So that's adult medicine, everything, for yeah. three years at Johns Hopkins. And I never forgot it. And I kept 
you know, abreast of it. I assume you do. And so I want people to know that they think, you know, they think, why he's a cardiologist. Why is he spouting off on all these other topics? And it's because I keep up. And, you know, everything affects the heart. Yeah. Depression affects the heart. Lack of exercise affects the heart. Sleep apnea affects the heart. Sugar affects the heart. Right. So I keep up. And I, I'm also fascinated by the field of medicine. So Okay. And if I don't know something, I'm going to tell you. Picking up on what he was talking about. Yeah, sure. Exercise. You know, he's 65. It might have been 65 50. is young. 65 is young. Young. I'm, I'm closer to 55 than I am 65. I'm closer to 65 than you are. But the the – I go to cardiac rehab Great. because how I have the. It's good. It are they teaching amazing. you how to do it? Well, yeah. There's are some they giving classes. you are they giving you lifetime lessons where you can do it at home when you're done with the rehab program? Yeah, All right. I guess because that's the whole. I think the whole point of rehab is not the six weeks. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. I think it's the life lessons about how you really can do it. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, I can't do that. I can't exercise like that. I'm spending a lot of time on the machines. What machine? Uh, one would be a, a stepper, but it's a, a stepper where... A motorized stepper. No, no, no. It's not motorized, but it's... Um, uh, I've forgotten the name for it. I'm sitting down and my feet are forward. Oh, okay. It, it So so it's it's kind of a comfortable thing. Yeah. But I'll yeah. spend 40 minutes on that. Really? And then I'll move to another machine for 40 15. minutes? Yes. Do they measure your heart rate? They do. They step, oh, What do you get it up to? Better than there. I don't know. They measure my heart rate. This, nurses come by and check me out. They, they check my heart rate. Wait, wait. How long are you there for? For an hour. But how, Why are you doing 40 minutes on one machine? Because they tell me to. Oh, <laughs> they're nurses, and I. If they told I do you to, if they told you to jump off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? If it was good for my heart, yes. <laughs> okay, so then forty minutes of that, then what? And then I do fifteen minutes on another machine. What's the other machine? The other machine will. Well, there's one that looks like you you move your hands a lot. <laughs> I, I like, love your explanations like are just ridiculous. It's like a you bicycle. Move your hands a lot. It's like a bicycle. The, thing but you're moving your hands oh. in a circle it's is really it, there's a wheel it's yeah. really good okay we'll talk about that this right. is hard health radio welcome to hard health with board certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist dr franklin Weefall. call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783 this is heart health radio dave alexander along with dr franklin Weefald and you if you call us Nine one nine eight six zero nine seven eight three. We tend to get more phone calls in the last fifteen minutes of the radio show, Just which call. means sometimes people are stuck on hold. Yeah, and the show ends. But the, uh, the bottom line is, it. don't be embarrassed. Call. Uh, we've that, that's. I, I've had patient, not patient. I've had listeners say yeah. that they learn the most. Not when I'm, uh, you know. Um, Pro, profoundly, uh, you know, bloviating, yeah. but from the questions. And, and so that's really what I'd like to hear. Call me and don't worry. We won't embarrass you. Okay. Southern Appalachia. It is Appalachia. I just looked it up. We were having this argument. I say Appalachia, but well, it's Appalachia. Well, here's the thing. I sent two daughters to App State and they make it very clear to that everybody. That's Appalachia. It's Appalachia, okay. Appalachian State. Now, I, again, 
I could get that wrong, and somebody will correct me. Uh, it it it. I just googled it. Okay. I googled how do you pronounce it, and it's Appalachia. Southern, yeah. So the South and Appalachia, they have the highest incidence of coronary disease and heart failure and stroke uh, in the country, and so they want to say it's from the dietary habit and it's from smoking, and it's from Mm. the highest incidence of African American or black populations. They have a very high incidence of of heart disease. Right. Um, I, I. I remember when I was doing heart catheterizations and pacemakers and stuff like that, that there was a professor at the University of North Carolina who actually put an article in um, was it News and Observer okay. saying, why is it a person in Raleigh is not as likely to have a heart catheterization and stent as a person in Smithfield when they're just 20 miles away? Well, you cross over that county line, yeah, and you might as well be uh, putting your foot in southern Mississippi, and you might you might as well be going from New York State to southern Mississippi in one step. Well, if you leave, completely different areas. If you start out in Cary, essentially, yes, it is. New yeah, York concentrated State, area then, of relocated Yankees. So that's what Cary means. In what way is it? Culturally or physically okay. different. So, Johnston County is my um, occupational home. I've been yes. there for twenty years. I love the people in Johnston County. the The place was settled in seventeen fifty five by a group of people um, who the parishes, the creatures. They're from what we call the west of Scotland and the east of Ireland, Celtic people, and. They have a genetic predisposition for atherosclerosis or cholesterol buildup. And they also settled large areas of the south. Um, the north was okay. settled by a different uh, uh, genetic background of people. And so in Raleigh now, the majority of people in Raleigh are not southerners. It's like Atlanta. Okay, Atlanta okay. and Raleigh are now populated – uh, by Midwesterners, uh, but more so by by Northerners. I mean, you go to um, Wegmans, and you know that's a New York place. Why do you think they brought it here? Wegmans is in New York, yeah, and yes. Raleigh, North Carolina. That's right. And so um, the answer is not the smoking. The answer is not the fried foods. The answer of why the South and Appalachia have such high incidence of coronary disease is the genetic background, the West of Scotland people. When they decided to find out if cholesterol medicines worked, where did they go to check it out? West of Scotland. Okay. It's called the West of Scotland trial because that is now the highest incidence of heart disease still. And so if you have a very high incidence, you can prove very easily that the cholesterol medicine brought that down. And the other reason is that black uh, individuals and and people have a higher incidence of uh, heart disease as well. And it is because of genetic factors, but also uh, because traditionally in this country, uh, blacks have not had access to good medical care. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's changing. Um, Some people want to call it systemic racism. I want to call it more of a socioeconomic 
uh, disadvantage that we need to correct right. and provide uh, access to health care for everybody. And if you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat, you should believe that. And so we need to focus on heart disease as not telling people that it's your fault that you have, like you, Dave. I'm not going to tell you that it's your fault that you have diabetes, high blood pressure, and, and heart disease. Yeah. Genetics are a huge, huge part of it. And that doesn't mean if your dad died of a heart attack at 50, you have to die of a heart attack at 50. What it means is that if you jump in early, get on the right meds, get right. on the right diet, you, you might be able to beat that or at least you know diminish the effect that that genetic predisposition has on your body. Okay, I'm I'm gonna beat my dad for longevity. Have you already beat him? No, no, no. Dad, dad lived to his 80s, but oh, but, okay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go shoot to 90. Okay, in 95, yeah. and and the way I'm gonna do it, yeah. is by watching everything from here on in. Yeah, I also know people who have had two Bypass open surgery. heart yeah. surgeries. Yeah. I don't. You know what my feel record is? Like doing that? Yeah, you know what my record is what? I had four. The you, I was the doctor. Yeah, the guy had three previous bypass surgeries. He came in with a heart attack. No, all of the grafts from all three surgeries were down, but he had good vessels to bypass to, and he went through the fourth operation like it was nothing. Went home on the third day. Now I got a hold of him. Yeah, and put him on you know a high dose of a cholesterol pill. He's on <laughs> aspirin. He's on clopidogrel. Yeah, we got his sugar under control, and it's been fifteen years. And hasn't had even a stent since then. Four, four bypass surgeries. Don't we, you? We ran some... out of. We we were worried about conduits. We ran out of conduits. So luckily, you, the last you, surgery conduits are what? Those are the bypass. Those are the things you bypass. Right. With. You've got to. You've got to have. So he some... had all his veins stripped from his legs, all of his veins stripped from his arms, and yeah. we found the radial artery. So the you have two arteries in your forearm. Yeah. The ulnar, it's on the pinky side. Yeah. And the radial's on the thumb side. Well, if you have a good ulnar, you can take out the radial. Oh. So we took both radials, and they were long enough to serve as his conduits. And that's the bypasses, the, the tubes that carry blood. So basically, he was to the point where you had to draw blood vessels from his arms. Arms? Well, he'd already had them from his arms. From the thir- three previous uh, bypass surgeries. Okay. But he got on the right meds. I was talking about his family history. His brother died at 40. His other oh, brother died at 40. His dad died at 40. Yeah. This guy's 73 years old. Yeah. And he's still working in his garden. Val in Raleigh, thank you very much for calling Heart Health Radio. Hey. Yes. I just want to let you know back in 1954, I got acquainted with PTF when they were behind. Clearwater Hotel in downtown. Oh, wow. So I've been listening to y'all a long time. Bless you, Val. Thank you. And the next thing I want to tell you is I'll be 87 in September. Youngster. Yeah. I've never had a prescription drug. Never had a what drug? Prescription. I never had a prescription. Well, let me let me tell you, how how and how and old was your mommy and daddy when they died? 80. That was mom and dad when they died. 82. 82. Okay, well that's pretty good. You beat them. Diabetic, daddy, he didn't have no problems. Yeah, so you've and never had high blood pressure, diabetes, nothing. I never had none of that stuff. Okay, I get a you, EKG over three years. I get total cholesterol over three years. Right. I get my arteries and my neck checked. Yeah. When I get my EKG, they give me a check my. 
I, that's that's great. And you and, know, this uh, is this. I, do you, I do do you exercise? And one time on my artery on the left side, I had a white streak all the way down like a toothpick. And I went back for three months and I need nothing white. And when I went back, it's blood red, and I've checked it over a year ever since. And it's still red. Val, what is your activity level? Yeah. Do you exercise? No. No. That's not good for you. <laughs> you, you remind me of Winston Churchill. I had to say that because we fall talking about Winston. I know we fall. I met him a long time ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Down at Smithfield when you were in the office, long one of them long buildings across from uh, uh, Social Security office. Yep. Well, wow. no, you know where else we were across from then? What? The graveyard. You were across from the little, little creek down there where the beer oh. joint Yeah, is. the graveyard. We used to say we had a direct connection oh my to the graveyard. Val, uh, do yeah. you do anything in your life that's physically active? I won't. He well, walks. Before the pandemic, Perfect. pandemic, we went to the medical mall at Smithfield. Yeah, you know, that's a great place to exercise. Yeah. So we walked four miles. Five days a week, me and the wife. That's perfect. Yeah. How about your now, diet? Do now you res- we can't get in there, so what I do, I go out my driveway out to the mailbox and back is uh, 180 steps. So I try to do that six, seven times. Perfect. Which gives me a little over 1,000 steps a day. How about your diet? Do you, do you have a special diet, or you just eat no, what I you eat want? No, I anything I want. Good. And, and I this, eat a lot this... of ice cream. I eat loaf bread. I eat rice. Yeah. I eat uh, all that stuff. Well, and you so know, I this eat is... one aspirin about twice a week is all I put in me. You're living proof of what I said. Yeah. And that's pick your right parents and you will do well. And, you know, our bodies repair ourselves every second, every nanosecond. You've got a great body and you were blessed. Yeah, I'm a a good looking guy. I bet. (laughs) Better looking than me. His face is nice, too. Yeah. Have you ever done your ancestry? Have you ever looked at your ancestry? No, uh uh-uh. Well, I'm not afraid to look at them. What's your, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're afraid of what you find. Yes. But anyway, I'd be very curious to know if you are not west of Scotland. Find out, if you can, who who came to this country and where they came from and your ancestors. I'll bet you, (laughs) you have got... some Scandinavian in you. You sound like it, like a Viking. Val, I got to ask you one more question because the doctor's struggling with this. How do you pronounce Appalachia? Appalachian. Thank yep. you. Appalachian. C H E A N. Yep. Appalachian. Right. Appalachian. That's you like, always uh, put. What is this thing around here? Uh, well, peanuts. What is that? Peanuts, walnuts, or something? Oh, pecans. Pecans. You say pecans or pecans. I'm That's the other one. I, well, we said pecan. What do you say? Pecan? Pecan. <laughs> yeah. Well, the pecan that I pecan knew was what you put under your under your bed <laughs> for the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Val. We got to run. Hey. Thank uh, you. Call anytime. We love you. Take yep, care. Okay. We'll talk to you later. All yep. right. He's going to listen for another I think 50 I know, some odd I think years. I know who he is. Yeah? Yeah. I, I recognize the voice after a while. Charles in Raleigh, thank you for calling Heart Health Radio. Hi. That's hey. uh, a hard act to follow. So. Yes. <laughs> I understand. Um, so I, I have a an odd thing. I am a, a 56-year-old guy, uh-huh. and um, just in the past few years, I have started having... Um, like uh, have a like a bout of diarrhea and severe allergies in the midst of it. Oh wow! To the point one one time, um, I actually went to the hospital. Uh, but uh, usually Benadryl will take care of it or something like that. Yeah. 
I can almost always, even as my stomach starts churning, I will have uh, runny nose, I'll get stuffy, and, you know, I can feel the whole, I've had allergies all my life, yeah. just season, seasonal, but um, my doctor was a little stumped. Uh, it's very sporadic. Yeah. Um, Something sets it off. Yeah. I was going to say, I eat the same, basically, I'm a creature of habit for my diet, so I've tried figuring out what, you know, okay, is there a trigger, but it's very inconsistent on what uh, what I eat and when I have have that issue. Yeah. And I didn't know if you had ever heard of that. Or, yes, absolutely. Or yeah, it's a very, very tough uh, condition. Um, have you been to an immunologist uh, or an allergist? Uh, I I used to see an allergist and got allergy shots for seasonal allergies and that kind of thing. But did, did that help I, this this diarrhea situation? You know, the sudden onset of all these symptoms when you were getting the uh, shots. Did it make a difference? Um, well, I, I didn't. It's been I probably. I didn't haven't done the shots for probably seven or eight years, and this is something that's just happened in the last say three years. Yeah. So this is what this is what I'm going to say. Um, the mast cells, M A S T, they um, are suddenly uh, exploding in your body. These are little immune cells that they think were were helpful. Like yes, anyway, they were helpful against parasitic things. Um, that we don't have anymore. And when you have an allergy, that is exactly what happens. Um, you're, there's something that is getting in your body, on your body, that is causing your mast cells to what we call degranulate. So these little teeny weeny, you know, little uh, like spheres are letting off this histamine, which is, you know, a, a compound that makes us have all these problems. Um, sniffles and this, I'm sure this diarrhea is coming from the mast cells just suddenly, you know, opening up in, in your gut. So there is something that is triggering it, either a food allergy or an airborne type thing. And let me tell you something. They would love to get a hold of you at Duke or at UNC in the immunology region because this is a big thing now because it's very similar to what people have. You know, you've heard of peanut allergies. Well, that is an extreme of what you have. Um, something gets in your system and all hell breaks loose. And these, this chain reaction where finally these mast cells just burst open and all this nasty stuff gets out and makes you sick. And the problem is um, that it may get worse. Um, it may, whatever your trigger is, um, may trigger it into something really bad in the future that, that they call anaphylaxis. So I'm not trying to scare you. Um, but, you know, and, the and the I, fact that it's I, been I, controllable, you know, goes away. But I would um, call up uh, Duke or UNC, or maybe get a referral from your own physician to the immunologist, the clinical immunologist, because they will love, I mean, let me just tell you, anybody who's in academic medicine, you know, they all tell you that they're in it to save humanity. No, they're fascinated by the research. And that's a good thing because they'll get a hold of you and they'll find out what the trigger is and maybe get a situation where it doesn't happen anymore. Right. Good luck, Charles. Yeah. I, I'm familiar with that. I, I have an EpiPen 
that I've had. Oh, you better, for, yeah. For, for other allergies. Yeah, and you carry around a lot of Benadryl and, and, and you know, you, you yep. carry around some because that's really important. Get yourself yep. an EpiPen and swallow some Benadryl. The other thing, have they ever had to give you steroids, uh, prednisone or Medrol for this? Uh, no. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah. It may come to that in the future, but uh, listen, this is a fascinating thing. And again, when doctors say that this is a fascinating case, the the cases don't feel so good. Yeah. But I yeah. think there's something they're going to help you with, and something they're going to yeah, find out as a trigger. Maybe they'll pay me instead of me having to pay them. Huh? All right. Good luck, Charles. You take care. All right. All right, Thanks. take care. We got Eric on the line and the phone's ringing. Yeah. This is what happens yeah, at okay. the end of the show. I love it. We love it. All right, we'll get some some other folks on in just a moment. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and down, throw my hands up and down, throw my hands This is Heart Health Radio. Telephone number is 919-860-9783. We'll sneak you in on the show. Eric and Raleigh, thank you for calling. What's going on, Eric? Um, I got a question about the statin drug. Yes. Is there a... Uh, I've been on semi-statin for like 24 years. Yeah. For, for high cholesterol. Sure. And, and my doctor says the cholesterols are... I mean, my, all my numbers look good now. Is there any reason to stay on it, or uh, is there any side effects of staying on it? So is he cured yeah. because he's yeah? So let me. Let's, that's a loaded question. Have you ever had any heart problems? No. So no heart attack, no stent. Uh, no, he put. Nothing. I, I got on it when I was like uh, probably 30, 38 years old. I'm sixty wow. now. You know what I'm gonna? Uh, you know what I'm gonna tell I had you? Bad diet back then. You know what I'm gonna tell you? <laughs> You have ninety nine bucks. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There, uh, there is a oh, test yes. that I suggest you have. Now, I can't order this test for you because it is. Uh, I'm not your doctor. Um, right. There is a test called a calcium score, and what that will tell you it's a it's a CT scan. It's very CAT scan. It's very minimal radiation, and what it will tell you is at your age, do you have a lot of cholesterol buildup in the arteries to your heart? When you have cholesterol in your arteries in your heart, calcium forms as your immune system tries to get rid of it, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's been shown now that if you have a low calcium score adjusted for age, then you may not need to take a statin. Um, and you said you're 55, is that correct? I'm 60 now. Yeah. 60. 60. Yeah. I mean, talk to your doctor. Uh, you do not need, in fact, you uh, getting an order from your doctor won't help you because for some strange reason, insurance companies and Medicare aren't paying for this test. Yeah. So it's 99 bucks. Uh, what's the advanced scan? Advanced body scan. Yeah, is one of the places. Um, okay. I think you can even get it at Wake Radiology or at, um, at uh, Raleigh Radiology. I liked... I like these people at advanced scans because, you know, they're they're set up for it. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna do your scan. Yeah. They're gonna tell you your score. They're gonna tell you your risks based on all the studies that are done. And I mean, ninety nine bucks out of your pocket. Sure, for some people, right. that's a lot of money. Right. But and you've got to have 
you got to have a doctor. No, 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 no. You do not. This is the future of medicine. It is. Where some company says, you know something, you want an x-ray? You know, you want a body scan? We're going to do it, and we're going to charge so much less than the hospital would. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Good luck to you. Do me a favor. If you get the scan, call us back and let us know what your score was. All right. Thank you, Eric. Bob in West Raleigh. Hey, Bob. Hey, guys. Hey, Hey. what's up? Uh, I'd like to ask you all about uh, chronic fatigue. Yeah. Yeah, chronic yeah. fatigue. It's a now, terrible problem. Just by saying I'm the guy that called in about polychondritis. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, how are, how's that going? <laughs> Not <laughs> any better. Know. Yeah. You don't really want to. This is really the same. Chronic right, fatigue I'm on is oxygen a oxygen yeah. at night now. We got about a minute and a okay. half. Okay. Chronic fatigue. Number one cause that I see in my patients is sleep apnea. Okay, and and it can it can be something that's just. You know, terrible. Um, restless mm-hmm. leg syndrome, mm-hmm. where your legs don't stop moving. Uh, a low thyroid is a big cause. Let, um, let me interrupt you. I've had everything. Yeah. Testosterone, B12. Yeah, I was about thyroid. to get the testosterone. Yeah. I've gone through everything. But All interestingly right. enough, the historical timeline on the polychondritis and the fatigue, and I'm telling you, I've got serious fatigue. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. 24-7. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Noses collapse. Yeah, get much oxygen. So here's here's what I'm going to tell you: that rheumatologic disorders, because there's so much inflammation, it's just tearing up your body, and and depleting all of as your body tries to fight this self induced injury, it's using up all your energy. So yes, that was what I was going to get to uh, at the end of the line as a cause. Now the other thing: get your doctor to check your blood pressure standing up. There's something called orthostatic hypotension, where you stand up and your blood pressure drops. It's a big cause of chronic fatigue, and people don't know it. Interesting. All right. Thank you, Bob. I think that Bob, and I'm not diagnosing him, I think Bob needs a doctor who will talk with him for an extended period oh, yeah. of time. Almost like Bob needs to order well, two seats on the airplane. Yeah, and you know, and do you know, yeah, right. Yeah. Get, get an extended appointment. Uh, yeah, and the other thing is, um, somebody that has the illnesses that Bob has. It's, you know, why doctors don't like to treat them because it's frustrating. And yeah. there's there's some illnesses that I treat. Um, this orthostatic hypotension and other types of things. So find a doctor who has the patience. Good luck to you, Bob. Um, We've got Making Your Home Great coming up next on WPTF.